following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Cross, this is what he says. He says, God became incarnate in Jesus, fully human, fully God, and so saved us from sin by allowing himself to be killed, for humanity cannot tolerate the presence of our maker. That's his his statement about the cross. He says the cross is ultimately God coming in the form of a man, allowing himself to be killed because people hated him. Now that's true. Uh, and and we'll, as we'll see as we, as we go through this this morning, it is an amazing witness against our brutal hostil- hostility towards God. But is that what saves us? Is that what we celebrate? We, we celebrate the cross because it's proof of how horrible we are. Well, there's something in that. But is that redeeming? Right? Is that what saves us? Well, actually, no, that's what condemns us, not what saves us. So what is it in the cross that's saving? What is it that we celebrate? What is it that makes it such a big deal that is more than that? Well, the amazing thing in, in, in the gospel accounts, as, especially as Luke has unfolded it, um, we see in the very events leading up to the crucifixion pictures that vividly uh, teach why the cross is important. And uh, the last couple of weeks as we've been going through this, hopefully you're seeing that, that that the charge against him, what it is that, that Jesus is accused with, uh, that his trials, that these things all explain to us the very meaning and purpose of the cross. And uh, again this morning, as we look through uh, his sentencing, uh, we'll see that again. So, so let's look at this. Let's unpack this a bit and see if, if we can understand what makes the cross so relevant and vital and important, how is it that it saves us? Um, so start, uh, Jesus is, uh, is before Pilate, the crowd's there, and, and Pilate has heard all the, all the witnesses, he's gathered all the evidence, he's examined, and he's now ready to hand down his final verdict on Jesus' case. And so he calls together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people. Uh, it's important to note all three groups are present, right? The chief priests uh, and, the, and the, the elders, the rulers, are the ones that Jesus had been tried for a couple Sundays ago. Um, the Sanhedrin, and they uh, wanted Jesus killed because he had claimed to be the Son of God, equal with God. So by Jewish law, Jewish understanding, they saw him as guilty of blaspheming God, of claiming to be God. But, of course, that's not a crime that the Romans will kill him for. So they, they bring Jesus before Rome and they tr- accuse him of sedition, of insurrection, of leading and inciting a rebellion, stirring up the people against, against Rome, ultimately. Um, uh, and so, uh, but also there now are the people, the crowd, the populace. Okay? The everyday person is also joined in. And before this crowd, Pilate hands down his verdict. He says, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of the charges. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. 
Look, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. And the clear, the clear point that, that Luke makes is that Jesus should not have gone to the cross. Right? There's absolutely no reason legally why Jesus should have died. Um, again, just to review quickly, because it's important, the charges uh, was of insurrection. Okay? That Jesus had incited, that, that's what that word means, it says they were misleading the people. Well, it means that he was leading them into a rebellion against Rome. They claimed that Jesus wanted to establish himself as king in defiance of Roman rule. That was the charge. And so Pilate gathers the evidence, he hears testimony, he inter- interviews the, the, the suspect, Jesus, and his conclusion is, uh, based on the evidence, based on everything presented to him, based on, on all of their arguments, his conclusion is, I can find absolutely nothing, not one shred of evidence, that would be uh, enough to convict him. There's no proof. There's no charges. There's nothing. There's no basis for your accusations. And so, um, Pilate's actually going to uh, declare Jesus' innocence three different times. And the first time, it's on on the basis of legal grounds, right? Pilate is sitting essentially as a judge in a court, and he says, "Look, there's no legal justification. You have no case. There's no legal basis here." Uh, and, and in verse 15, he, he uh, emphasized it when he says, uh, you know, in, in the ESV, look, in the old Bible, behold, <laughs> right? Why do people say behold? Uh, we don't really say that much. Behold. <laughs> I'm happy today, right? What does that mean? Well, it means really, really I'm happy. It means this is a truth. This is something to pay attention to. He says, look, behold, right? there's nothing here. In terms of of the legal merits of the case, I must declare him not guilty. Not guilty of any crime. Certainly not a crime punishable at death. Uh, But he doesn't stop there. Uh, Secondly, he he, uh, makes it clear that Pilate as a person has no motives or incentives to see Jesus done away with. Now, we all know that the legal courts and, and government officials can be corrupt. Um, justice is not always executed perfectly. And the, the, the reality is that oftentimes people have their own personal agenda or motive in doing away with someone. And that was certainly the case with the Jews. Right? The Jews uh, weren't really concerned about justice. They wanted to get rid of him. They were in every way corrupt in that sense. They didn't want a fair hearing. They just wanted to get rid of Jesus. It was their deep desire. But that's not true for Pilate. In verse 16 it says, he says, I, he says I'll punish and release him. Okay, not because he's guilty of anything, but just because, well, it never hurts to beat somebody, you know, and, and it'll, if it'll make you happy, I'll just beat Jesus, and it'll all be good, and I'll set him free. Right? But the crowd cries out all together as one, away with this man. In other words, kill him. Get rid of him. Uh, execute him. We want Barabbas instead, a man thrown into prison for insurrection and for murder. And so a pilot addressed them once more. He p- was pleading with them once more. Why? 
because he was desiring their release, his, his release, it says. Jesus, I mean, Pilate desired, wanted Jesus set free. Pilate had no agenda against Jesus. Um, and Herod was the same way. And uh, there had been a rumor going around that Herod wanted to kill Jesus. But when Jesus was handed right in front of him, Herod also had no, nothing against Jesus. No political reason, no personal reason to, to kill him, to sentence him to death. Right? So, so Pilate is, on legal grounds, he wants Jesus released, but on personal grounds. He says, I don't have anything against this man. I have no reason or no, no motive, no incentive that I would want to inflict this kind of harm on him. But there's a third reason, and for a third time, Pilate again announces his innocence in verse 22, and he says a third time, Pilate said to them, Why? Why kill him? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I'll therefore punish and release him. I think, I think at this point, it's, it's not a matter of, 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 of law, because he's already established that one. It's not a, a matter of that he has any personal vendetta against Jesus. I think now it's coming down to Pilate as a matter of pure conscience. Pilate's feeling the pressure of this crowd wanting Jesus crucified. And Jesus and, and Pilate is saying, look, I can't do that in good conscience. Right? It would be morally wrong for me to do that, to sentence to death an innocent person, uh, not only of this, the crimes and charges you've brought, but he says, I find no evil in him. Show me any evil that he's done. And not just insurrection, but just you can't bring any charges against him. I see this as a, as a good person, not worthy of, of death. And so, so Pilate is kind of desperate here, he, and, and he makes it very clear three times in this, this passage. There, there's no good reason to execute Jesus, to, to hand down a death sentence. But of course, uh, Pilate's voice was not the only voice to be heard on that day. And Luke records the voice of the crowd that is screaming for Jesus' crucifixion. Um, and, and here the focus is, is on all of them. And uh, Luke makes special uh, note of the crowd. And throughout the entire Gospel of Luke, the crowd has been described as very favorable of Jesus. Okay, they've been uh, the, the, the everyday people were not seen throughout the book of Luke as Jesus' enemy. It was always the, the chief priests and the Pharisees and the leaders, but the crowd were always responsive to Jesus. But all of a sudden now, the crowd is screaming for his death. What happened? What happened? This is the same crowd that Luke described earlier as hailing Jesus as the coming king as Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem. What happened? Right? How could this crowd be so quickly turned from praising Jesus to screaming for his execution? Well, clearly somebody was at work in the background. Right? Somebody had launched a publicity campaign against Jesus. Somebody was inciting this crowd, this mob, against Jesus. Who was doing that? Well, obviously the chief priests and the leaders. 
were stirring up this crowd. What are they doing here? Well, they are, in short, inciting the crowd to rebellion against the authority of Rome. Ironically, the Jewish leaders are doing the very thing they are accusing Jesus of, of misleading the people, of directing the people to defy Pilate as, as, as Roman authority to defy his, his, his verdict, right? And they are demanding Jesus' life. And so just as um, Pilate three times declares his innocence, Jesus' innocence, three times the crowd responds with a scream, kill Jesus. First in verse 18, they all cried out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. Right? Screaming. Okay, the word says crying out, but it's not just a cry. It's, it's really a scream. Um, closest example I, I can think of in our own culture is, is if you're at a sporting event and you're you know, really wrapped up in the game and you're screaming and cheering, right? And the ref makes a, makes a bad call and, and you do what, right? You scream at the ref, right? And sometimes you maybe say things you have to confess later as sin, right? That's what they're doing here. In fact, the second account, the second, you know, Pilate says, I'm just going to beat him. You know, you'll get, you, you, I'll abuse him some and I'll turn him free. Right? And what do they respond? The second time they say, crucify, crucify him. Okay, in, in Greek, the double word crucify is an, an emphatic thing. Right? It, it's, it's, um, it's extreme in its emphasis. And again, you know, when the ref makes the bad call, you know, kill the ref, kill the ref, or I don't know, whatever you say, right? That's terrible. That's kind of what they're doing here. It's intense. It is filled with emotion and, and hostility. And then finally, the third time, it says, verse 22, a third time he says to them, Pilate says to them, what evil has he done? I found no guilt deserving of death. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. The idea is that they were pressing on him, right? They, as with one, they were pressuring Pilate to kill Jesus, demanding his execution. And Luke ends the account this way. He says in verse 23, he says, "And their voices prevailed. Their voices prevailed. In other words, they won. Right? They overcame." Pilate's resistance, his defense of justice and innocence. And the crowd prevailed on him so that Pilate decided that their demands should be granted. And he released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they had asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will to death. And the point in all this first major point is that Jesus should not have died. Uh, three times he was pronounced not guilty. Uh, there was no evidence against him. There was nothing that warranted his conviction. The, the, the reason he was sent to the cross, humanly speaking, right? as we read this, the, 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 the real reason he was sent to the cross was simply because the crowds hated him and had rejected him. That was the only basis of his death. Okay? The only basis of why Jesus went to the cross, humanly speaking, was simply because they hated him and they were rejecting him 
uh, as king. And it is true in that, and it's worth reflecting upon, that in the cross it is a witness of the deep root of sin of humanity. Um, we are guilty before God, ultimately, not because we do bad things. And often as we present the gospel, we present the gospel that, you know, you're worthy to go to hell because you've, you've done evil things. You've lied or you've cheated or you've hurt people. And of course, those things are sinful and, and there is a penalty for those. Uh, but it's hard to make a case that, you know, back in third grade I told a little white lie and now I'm going to hell for that. Okay? True or not, it's hard to sell to everyday people. Right? They don't get the, the severity of that punishment against what seems to them a rather inconsequential sin. But you see, that's not the real issue. That is not why we are worthy of hell and judgment and punishment. The real problem is much deeper than that. The real issue is that we hate God and we reject His rule over our life. We are all guilty of sedition and insurrection against our King. Right? Uh, and so it doesn't matter how good a person is in terms of their moral, moral character. And the world cries out, you know, I know these good people, they do so many good things, they are such a good person, you tell me God would judge them. Well, yeah, he's not judging them because they're a good person. They're judging him because uh, God judges him because they've rejected him as king. Okay? So much so that all of us would, would join our voice to that crowd screaming for his crucifixion. But apart from his saving work in our life, all of us would join in that crowd screaming out for Jesus' crucifixion. So Jesus should not have died. Secondly, though, it's clear that Barabbas should not have been set free. Okay, there's no way in the world it was right for Barabbas to be set free. Um, for one, he was his guilt was certain. There's no question about his his guilt. Uh, Pilate didn't have to worry that there wasn't enough evidence. Okay, he had been tried. There was plenty of evidence. His conviction was certain. He was a murderer. And he was guilty of, of inciting rebellion. Uh, and his crime was serious. Okay? He wasn't just a liar was telling little white lies. He didn't just you know, misreport his taxes. Okay, he killed somebody or some buddies. We don't know how many. He was a murderer. And he was guilty of sedition and rebellion. And every government takes sedition and rebellion, insurrection, seriously. And the reason is that it's an attack on society itself. If somebody rises up to rebel against the established government, it, if it goes far enough, it will lead to civil war. And it will undermine the stability of any country. And if you want a, a, a modern-day picture of it, just look at Syria, right? a country that has been ripped in two with millions and millions of people um, suffering because of civil war. Now, I'm not saying there's not, I'm American, so I can't say there's not such a thing as just civil war, right, or just rebellion, right? Um, maybe there is a good cause. But the fact is that good cause or not, it turns a society inside out and upside down. And so Rome takes it seriously. His crime of rebellion is serious. And on top of that, he's a murderer. Got to know of any country, any culture where murder is okay. And the reason is that if somebody would kill, you know, that person, 
if they're set free and can wander about, what's to say they wouldn't kill you? Right? What's to say you, you wouldn't cross paths with them and get on the wrong side of them and they would kill you? But these are serious crimes. And they're crimes uh, that, that we must take seriously. Uh, and thirdly, because he's guilty, because the crime is serious, justice demands punishment. Right? It is not okay for, for, for Pilate to even make this offer. Right? Yeah, imagine this in, in the modern world. Hey, you know, I know this guy led a rebellion. He's tried to start a civil war against our country. Uh, he's killed lots of people. But hey, you know, we're loving people. Let's just let him go free. Right? Well, no matter how loving we are, it's not okay to do that, is it? Right? Why? Well, justice demands punishment for crimes. What does that mean? Well, it means this, that this, this Barabbas killed somebody who was dearly loved by his family. Okay? Imagine if he killed somebody dear to you. Right? If justice is not served, what it says to the victims is the life of the person that he killed really is not worth that much. Right? And there's something in this that says, no, it is worth a lot and there must be punishment. Right? There must be some, something to settle the, the, the account for the life that he's taken. Um, bring it down a notch or two to something kind of more on an everyday level. You know, murder is a huge charge and most of us haven't encountered that kind of... So it's hard for us maybe to identify. But how about this one? We have one of our Thai staff who recently was in a car wreck. Um, thankfully, she was not hurt, but her car was pretty smashed. And uh, she was, she was at a, in a turn lane waiting to, to make a right-hand turn, waiting for traffic to clear about 10 o'clock at night. And a guy comes up from behind and just plows into the back of her. Right? Now, how did he do that? How did he not see a parked car? Right? Well, because he was drunk. And uh, they did a breathalyzer test, and it came out that his blood alcohol level was three times legal limit. So he wasn't just a little drunk. He was really, really drunk. Well, if you've ever been in an accident here, it's a great experience, great cross-cultural learning thing. And how does it work here? Well, I'll give you some advice. This is what works. So you get in the accident. The next day, you all go to the police station, and they decide who has to pay for it. And it's this great negotiation process. Quite fun. Well, the insurance people all show up, and they've got invested. You know, it's their money that's getting spent. So they debate the whole thing. And in the end, you know, it's all paid for. Her car's going to get fixed. It's not going to cost her anything. But come to find out, this guy who hit her was a government official, right? So guess what happened to all the evidence that he was drunk? Well, it magically disappeared, right? And uh, while her car got paid for, no charges of drunk driving were levied against this guy, right? He gets off free. It's just an accident, well, our, our high staff person just happens to be a freshly graduated law student, right, <laughs> who is on fire for justice, right? And she is just not okay with this, right? Now, her car's getting fixed. You could say, well, you know, it's no damage done. Your car's going to get fixed. You're fine. It's no big deal. But she says, no, it is a big deal. Because that's not the crime. The crime is not that my car got broke. The crime is that this guy was driving drunk. Right? He could have killed somebody. 
If we don't do something about it, he's going to kill somebody. He should pay for this. Right? He should stand and give an account for his crime. So she's written all kinds of letters and she's on a crusade. Sadly, it's falling on deaf ears, right? And it's insulting. And the bottom line is that for her, it's an insult. Right? It is an insult to her that justice is not being meted out. Well, for the families, for the people around Barabbas, you know, for, for this to be offered, it is an insult to justice. It is an insult to the victims. It is, the ins- is an insult to those who are harmed. Right? It's not right. He should not be sent free. Right? How could... So, so here's, here's, here's the conclusion of this passage. I mean, this is what it all boils down to. How could the innocent man be sentenced to death and the guilty man be set free. It's just wrong. And everything about this story leaves us going, this is wrong. Everything about this is just wrong. And humanly speaking, Jesus' death was a great injustice. How in the world can, can the guilty go free and get off? And it, it reminds us that this is true often. There are too many guys out there like this government official who should go to jail. They should pay. They should, they should experience the punishment for their crime, but they go free. And it makes us angry, and it seems wrong. So, so what is this all about? And what does this really have to do with Jesus on the cross? Well, I think the picture is simply this, that uh, humanly speaking, it's injustice. Humanly speaking, Jesus should not have died. Humanly speaking, it was a great injustice for Barabbas to be set free. And humanly speaking, it was proof of the hostility of mankind towards God. But this can't be viewed just from ground level, right? If we only see the cross from human eye level, we will miss what it's really all about. To really understand the cross, we have to see it from a much higher plane. We have to see it from heaven's perspective. We have to see it from God's point of view. And the truth is that Jesus was sent to die by a much higher court. Not by the court of Rome or of Pilate, but by the high court of heaven. And there is a much higher judge and greater judge than Pilate. And of course that is... Almighty God, the God of heaven and earth who created all things, who is judge over all things. Uh, And there's a greater power than the voice of the crowd. Ultimately, Jesus died, humanly speaking, because the voice of the people prevailed. But there is a, a voice greater than that crowd, a prevailing force that has greater power than the voice of the people. Um. And, of course, that, that is God. And there is no crowd that prevails on him. Right? God did not, was not moved to action to judge or condemn or anything because of some outside force. Right? He, he must judge justly because it is his very character and nature to do so. He is perfect in justice. Right? He's perfect in truth. Uh, he cannot turn a blind eye on evil and let the guilty go free. Can we understand that? God cannot just let guilty people go free without punishing the crime. That would not 
serve justice. Right? It would make God as fickle and weak as Pilate. God can't do that. God must judge every person, and he judges with perfect fairness. He sees everything, everything, and he must judge. And, and his verdict is that we are all guilty. And because we are all guilty, he also must punish the guilty. Right? He must punish all of us for our sin. We all, like Barabbas, deserve the death sentence. Right? We are guilty before God and we deserve that. But there is something else that's prevailing with God, and it's not the voice of the crowd, but it is his own love and compassion that prevails upon God. We are guilty of treason and sedition, rebellion against his rule, and he must punish us. But there's also something in God, in himself, not outside, that screams out, and it is his compassion and love for his creatures. He looks at us and he also feels moved that, like Pilate, he, he does not desire our punishment. He does not desire our destruction. But what can God do? On the one hand, justice demands that sin must be punished. On the other hand, his heart for us is that we would be set free from the bondage and consequences of sin. And so his love compels God to save us from such a fate. But how can God pull this off? Well, unlike Pilate, God is not backed into an impossible dilemma. Okay? God knew from the beginning of time before he created a single molecule, God knew the answer. And he knew what he would do. It's been his plan from before the foundations of the earth that he would send, that he would send his own son to die in our place. Right? That he would exchange Jesus' life for ours, just like he exchanged Jesus' life for Barabbas. Right? That's been his plan from the beginning. And what Pilate did unwittingly on that day is a picture of what God did intentionally and purposely from before the foundation of the world. As he said, how can I carry out justice and set my people free? He says, I will pour out the punishment on my own son who's innocent, whose, uh, whose innocence is proved over and over. But by doing that, he will pay the penalty. He will receive the sentence that's due us so that I can set my children free, those whom I love. So it is a great exchange. The, the life of the innocent and righteous for the life of the guilty and the condemned. Jesus for, Barab for Barabbas. Jesus for you and I. And so the guilty are set free and justice is served. Again, uh, turning to Isaiah 53.8, just pictures and captures this so well. Let me read Isaiah 53, verses 8 uh, to 10. He was unjustly condemned. Unjustly condemned. He was led away. 
No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for our guilt. And the bottom line is that is what makes the cross we're celebrating. Yes, it's true that in the cross we see how much mankind hated God. But we also see how much God loved mankind in spite of how we hated him. And it was God's will to crush Jesus. And sadly, there's a move in Christianity today that wants to take uh, wrath and judgment uh, away from God, that somehow God can't be a God of wrath. But but to to make God like that is to rob God of justice, to take away from him the capacity to deal justly with sin. And And it makes the gospel empty and watered down and meaningless. It it makes the most you can say about the cross as well it's proof that people didn't like him very much. But it robs the cross of its meaning. What the cross means is that God loves you more than you can imagine, even though you are worse than you really know. You are, a rebel, you are a rebel against God far more than you really see with your own eyes. You and I are far more worthy and deserving of punishment than we really want to contemplate or think about. But God is far more loving and gracious and generous than we can really wrap our mind around. Do you feel like God loves you? Well, honestly, a lot of times I don't necessarily feel that. Do you need to feel that? Well, I believe it's the most important thing, most life-transforming thing that we must know, how much God loves us. And the reality is the reason life doesn't work for us a lot of the times is because we really don't grasp the depth of God's love. We don't really get the value that our life has in God's eyes. Uh, what we mean to him, how dear and precious we are to him. So we worry about finances, right? We worry about politics. We worry about the world that's falling apart around us. We stress out and we get depressed and anxious because we're we're fearful, right? We're worried. We don't know what's going to happen. And the reason we don't know is because we don't, know how much God loves us. If we could grasp how much God loves us, the extent that he went to purchase and redeem us from sin, to give us new life, to give us relationship with him, I'm telling you, all this other stuff is just not going to matter. right? It's not going to matter. And not that we shouldn't be burdened in praying for our broken world. But we should have a confidence that, hey, I am loved by the creator, sovereign God of the universe who saved me by sending his very own son and pouring out my punishment on him. I think I'm, I think I'm going to make it. Right? I think I'm going to make it. Because if God would do that for me, I think he's going to take care of me. Right? I think he's going to look out for me. 
I think he's going to make sure that I'm okay. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.